You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. I want to welcome everyone who's uh, streaming with us today. God bless you. We're glad that you're with us. Yes, we know it's a little bit late, but you need to make it to 1119 Bryan Road because in this place this morning, the power of God moved in our worship service in such a way that the house was electrified and lives were changed and people who typically don't step forward were stepping forward and allowing God to use them in miraculous ways today. And God is doing great things and revival is being loosed right here in Passion Church in Cameron, Missouri. And so if you ever get the chance to come be with us here in Northwest Missouri, please Come be with us. If you're watching by television, uh, we've been the last two weeks just digging out from ice and snow, and today everyone came to the house of God ready to worship, and God showed up in a powerful way. Those of you that are streaming with us today, turn your Bible or your phone or your device to Acts the 10th chapter. I'm going to, for time's sake, I was originally going to read the entire uh canon, but I won't. Uh, so we're going to start with verse 44. I'll fill in the backstory as we go. Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, what words was he speaking? He was testifying about Jesus. This is after Jesus has ascended. Now the disciples are in the book of Acts, and they are carrying out the acts of Christ in their own life. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on a few, all who were listening. You guys are listening. That's good. All who were listening to the message and the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews. Now understand Peter is preaching now to a household of Gentiles. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews who came with Peter, were surprised and amazed because the free gift of the Holy Spirit had been bestowed and poured out largely even on the Gentiles. For they heard them talking in unknown tongues or languages and extolling and magnifying God. Then Peter asked, can anyone forbid or refuse water for baptism, for the, baptizing these people, seeing that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus the Messiah. Then they begged him to stay on there for some days. In other words, they asked him, stick around and teach us. Hmm. Father, we thank you for the, the reading of your word. I ask, Father, that you'll help me to tie all the story together, Father, in a way that will be exciting and will bring us together, Father, and capture the heart of God in this message today. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen. amen. If I was going to title this message today, it would simply be this, God chooses who he uses. 
God chooses who he uses. So here's the backstory. A Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius, somewhere along the line, he rather it was one of his servants, or if it may have been, uh, he may have had firsthand witness of Jesus in his operations. He may have come up against one of the disciples, but somewhere, something about the Jews, and I remember the Roman occupation was happening in Jerusalem at the time, but there was something about the religion of the Jews that was starkly different than the religion of Rome, which was a plurality of idols. He saw something in the one living God of the Jews that intrigued him. And he wanted to know the God of the Jews. Do you know how unusual that is for a Roman centurion? Understand the Romans felt that they were superior and add military might on top of that and military authority on top of that. Typically, the Romans didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't like the Romans. But there was something about the religion of the Jews that caused him to know they have something that we Romans do not have. If you read the canon, it said that he prayed often and he gave alms and he gave into the house of God. In other words, He watched what the Jews were doing, and he mimicked it, even though he didn't have any firsthand knowledge of their God. But he thought in his mind, I'm sure he reasoned in his own heart, that surely if their God is a living God and he can do such great things for them, surely there's a place for me with their God. So understand that God chooses who he uses. And we'll get into this here as we go. But you've got to get your heart right because it might surprise you who God wants to use. The world went crazy not long ago because an ex-rapper out of the world had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ And now he's amassing large crowds and preaching the gospel. And the church that should be celebrating and clapping and enjoying uh, the fruits of the labors of this rapper have sat back and criticized. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. God chooses who he uses. Who would have ever thought a self-made billion could come into our nation in the highest office of the land and begin to put spiritual order back into the nation, a man whose past is sketchy at best, and yet God chose him to use him in a supernatural way when those who came into the office before him who claimed they had the same heart as you and I never made the extraordinary steps that this man has made And yet he's stepping out and he's putting right some things that have been wrong in our nation and upside down 
and topsy-turvy. He's allowing them to come back where they belong. Mm. Now, Peter is in for the shock of his life because he's about to discover that God is not pinned in by human borders. You see, the Jews didn't like Gentiles. He's about to find out that God chooses who he uses, and what he thought were absolutes in God are turning out to only be his personal prejudices. Are you still with me? Mm-hmm. The Jews thought they were God's chosen people, and they are. They are not, however, God's only people. God has many people. God loves every nation. God loves every person, every tribe, every tongue. But he chose one people to work through to get into the world that he could reach the world. But when that group of people negated his gift of the Messiah, he tagged someone else to get the job done. That's why God raises up billionaires to run a nation because someone did not receive or do or carry out the mandate of God as they should have. That's why God pulls a rapper off of a million-dollar stage and then puts him into the church house and causes revival. God will always have an obedient group of people who could say amen to that. So Peter, a Jew, is prejudiced. But now let's look at Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion, and they were prejudiced against the Jews. They were prejudiced against all men because they wanted to rule the world. And and the Jews thought that they were God's chosen people, and they were. But for centuries and millennia, the Jews wouldn't associate with non-Jewish people. They saw the world outside of Judaism as tainted, pagan, immoral, and they caused everyone or thought that everyone who was not a Jew should be an outcast. They wouldn't even let their clothes touch a Gentile in the marketplace. Come on, I'm talking about prejudice. Cornelius, a Roman centurion, as a whole, Romans were pagan. They had idolatry at the core of their society, and they viewed the world through a superior lens just as the Jews did. They thought they were the chosen people of the world. Roman society as a whole was filled with indulgence. They indulged in food. They had something, I I, I know this is a little bit gross, but I'm going to say it anyway. They had something called vomitoriums. So you would fill yourself and stuff yourself until you couldn't hold it anymore. You'd stuff food in until it came back out. That's how indulgent they were in their society. They wanted to enjoy everything. They they were indulgent in entertainment. 
And their entertainment became brutal at times, causing massacre and killing of people and persecution of other people groups. They enjoyed sensual pleasures, and they enjoyed erotic behaviors, and they enjoyed gender blurring and made it acceptable within their nation. They, and their worship was left to whatever God you decided to worship at that time. Whatever your need was, you went and found an idol that you prayed to who dealt with that particular thing. In that nation, there was self-adulation, self-promotion, self-preservation, and they reigned under the emperor. Although the emperor was in charge, he was always on guard for those who were trying to get his position. They were a brutal and a, how how do I say it, a um, barbaric people at best. Jerusalem had a puppet king, a Jew named Herod. He took all of his moral behaviors from Rome. The high priest and the Sanhedrin were pretentious religious zealots who were in some individual or, or some of those individuals were corrupt within themselves. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest, hated the pagans of Rome and their behavior and practices, and they wanted Rome out of their nation, out of their lives, and out of their realm of influence. I said all that to get to here. Our main characters in this story seemingly have nothing in common and would never give each other audience for even a moment. But a powerful and strange practice causes these two unlikely people to collide. A convergence of enemies is about to find common ground. A centurion whose allegiance to the Roman occupation is about to find something in common with someone who would prefer he didn't exist. You know what that strange thing was that both men did that caused their paths to collide? They prayed. Sometimes we forget how powerful a tool we have in our arsenal in prayer. Because oftentimes we demote prayer to just vain babblings. And because our spirit isn't right in our prayer, I'm not trying to correct anybody, I'm just throwing this out. Because our spirit is not correct or right in prayer, our prayers become powerless because so often they become nothing but self-indulgence. And we come in with a laundry list of wants and and things we want God to do. And if God doesn't answer everything on my list the way that I want him to, I become offended. But God, through prayer, can turn nations, not just one, nations, nations can turn. By prayer. 
Lives can be changed. Sicknesses and diseases can bow because someone with the right heart of faith can pray and everything changes. Prayer was the common denominator between these two mortal enemies. Look at this. My suggestion to you today is that prayer is a unifier. Us doing the 40 days of prayer in the Draw the Circle, Mark Batterson book, is unifying us, and we've seen it today, even in this worship service, we saw the unifying power of God that we haven't experienced quite like that before in this house. So there's a unifying factor in prayer. Cornelius somewhere had become intrigued with the practice of the Jews in their worship and dedication to their God. And maybe the thought of of one all-powerful God has now captured his attention. Maybe he's heard or even witnessed the work of Jesus. The story really never tells us why Cornelius is praying to a God he does not yet know. It just says that he is. Maybe he had a Jewish servant who sowed the seeds of his God in his life. We don't know. The story doesn't tell us. But all I know is that he wants an encounter with the living God. As I read it in the Word, I see it. Here's a man who's doing everything the Jews do. He's praying fervently. He's praying not just him, but his, he's got his whole entire household, including his servants, praying unto this God whose name he probably didn't even know. He's got them praying, and he doesn't know how this is going to turn out, but he's doing everything that he sees the Jews doing. He's giving to the poor. He's being benevolent. He's acting like a man with a heart, not like a military tyrant who wants control of the world, but like a humanitarian who wants to help the world. Hmm. So he mimics the practices of the Jews. He prays, he gives, he takes care of the poor, he reveres and fears God. He and his whole household down to his servants. And he wants to know God, so he does what others do who worship God. He puts his faith to action. Even though he doesn't know this God, he doesn't know how this God operates, He believes that if I'll do these things, I will come to know him. So he puts faith in action. I don't know if you are real, God, but I'm going to worship you as though you are. Mm. God hears faith every time. When you pray in faith, God hears your faith prayer. And a man who's seeking God, who doesn't really know, but he's putting faith that you are out there, and I'm going to do what I know to do and what I see others do, because I want to know you. I want to know that you are real. And while praying, God sends an angel, a messenger to him. 
Can you imagine? He's always prayed to gods of stone and wood. And now he's praying to a God he cannot see, touch, go to his temple. He wasn't allowed in the temple, folks. He can't go to his temple, but he says, I'm going to pray anyway. And because he prays anyway, suddenly, now we don't know how long he's been doing this, but suddenly there's a divine interruption in the middle of his faithful praying. God has heard from heaven and said, somebody's got to preach the message of salvation to Cornelius and his household. So he sends an angel, and I'm going to simplify it. This angel comes in dazzling white, and he's, he's set back by it. And the angel says, you know what you need, Cornelius? You need to send some people to a a town about a day away called Joppa. Because down in Joppa, there's a man named Peter at Simon the Tanner's house. God knows where you are all the time at any given moment of the day. He sends an angel to tell Cornelius, you send some people and invite Peter to come preach to you. I love this. You need Peter to come and explain this all to you. So he sends his servants, probably Jews, because the word tells in one place, Jews and I believe one soldier went with them. So that tells me that possibly his servants were Jews, that possibly these were dedicated believers, and possibly this is where he's come in contact with this God he's never met. I got to find where I'm at. I lost my place. He sends his servants. Now, Peter is the boldest of the disciples of Christ. He's a devout and devoted man of God. He's got a red personality. He's a straight shooter. He tells you even if you don't like it, he'll take out a sword and cut off your ear if you get in the way. Peter's praying. Oh. <gasps> One day later, this happens, I'm just going to make up a day, on Monday and on Tuesday, Peter's praying. And as Peter's praying, suddenly he goes into what the Bible calls a trance. Yeah, the Bible calls it trance, and it happens. People get suspended between this life and the spiritual life, and they don't know where they are. Their body's still here, but they don't even know where they are. And while he was in this place, God showed him a vision of everything that's detestable to the Jewish dietary law. And God says, see all these detestable creatures? Go ahead and eat them. Go ahead and eat them. And we're talking snakes and bugs. And eat them. Three times God shows him this. And each time he says, God, you know I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat that. So now he's prayed. He's had the vision. He's sitting going, what was that all about? He knows it's God, but what was that? Why would you tell me, God, to do something that we don't do? 
Why? What's this all about? He's contemplating. He's struggling with what he has seen. Have you ever struggled with God speaking something to you and you don't quite know what to do with it yet? And while he's thinking about this, suddenly, that don't work very good, comes a knock on the door. And when the door is open to Simon the Tanner's house, the delegation, the small delegation of people outside the door say, we're here to see Simon Peter. Peter comes down and meets this delegation, invites them to spend the night. He feeds them, and then in the next morning, he gets up and he goes with them back to Cornelius' house. And even though he's repulsed by the things that he has seen, God has told him, don't you look down on what I have cleansed. Now, he still hasn't figured this all out yet. He's still, even in this journey, this is what we're talking about. You don't belong to you anymore. When God has need of you, he may send someone to knock on your door at an inopportune time and have you follow them. He'll, he'll produce things or have you fly across the nation or around the world to reach one individual. But that one individual could very well be the floodgate of a mighty revival. Mm. So he's struggling. He's, he's been repulsed, but God has told him, don't look down. And Peter is now in deep contemplation of the meaning of this vision. The invitation, as I've already said, comes to his door. Peter and this small uh, delegation take a journey to Cornelius' house. Cornelius, a centurion of Rome says, Peter, whatever you tell us to do, we will do. Peter arrives, and Cornelius is so awed that Peter would come. He says, whatever you instruct us to do. Now understand who outranks who in society here. He doesn't say, Peter, come into my house, and this is how things will work. He says, whatever you want, that's what I'll do. Sounds like the conversion of Paul, doesn't it? Who are you, Lord? And whoever you are, here I am. Look at this. Peter and this small delegation, they get there, and, and Cornelius says, whatever you tell us to do, we will do. Cornelius submits to Peter. Governmental authority bows in this moment to spiritual authority. So Peter, back in verse 34, receives the revelation of his vision. The moment he sees this act from Cornelius, he realizes what this vision meant. Don't hold people at arm's length from God anymore. All people are acceptable to the Father. Mm. Look at this. So, he submits his governmental authority and bows to the spiritual authority, and Peter has got the understanding, but anyone sincere about God can know God. So Peter preaches Christ, and while Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on everyone who's listening. 
He's invited in with open arms. Everyone is spellbound. Everyone is hanging on to every word. Everyone is looking, going, what is it? What is it that you have to say to us? We're ready. You know, you know God sent me a messenger. And, and, and so Cornelius rehearses all of that before pre, uh, Peter begins to preach. But while he's preaching, he hasn't made it to the altar call. Talk about disruptive church. While he's still telling them about Jesus and the miracle uh, working life of Christ Jesus and the fact that he died for their sins, the Holy Spirit just falls in the room. And just like the upper room experience that Peter and the disciples and the 120 had experienced on the day of Pentecost, suddenly it's happening to these detestable paganistic Roman Gentiles and Peter is standing there stupefied he's looking across the room and they're praying in heavenly languages and he he's like what the Messiah came for the Jews yes he did and the rest of the world. He didn't stop with the Jew. He came for you and I, the Gentile. He came so that we could be engrafted in to the mercy of God, that what Adam lost could now become our treasure. We now are children of the Most High God. We now walk with his authority. We now walk with his power. We now walk in his victory. Mm, I'm almost done. The Jews in the crowd are astonished. <laughs> These Gentiles are speaking in heavenly languages the same as the Jews in the upper room. And they receive Christ as Lord while Peter's preaching, there was no altar call. But God chooses who he uses. And sometimes we preachers wax way too eloquent so the God and the Holy Spirit just has to hurry up and says, would you shut up, Peter? Hmm. You long-winded old windbag, watch. Hmm. And everyone in the room was baptized on the power of the Holy Ghost. Hmm. No altar call. No anointing oil. No one singing the doxology. No one sang, just as I am. Peter hasn't even said amen, and they're, boom, wasted in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> just hearing. Faith cometh by, and hearing by the, and here a man who's been on the edge of his seat going, I know there's something to this God of the Jews. I know there's something to it. Suddenly an angel comes. Suddenly Peter's there. Suddenly he's hearing the message for the first time. And faith is opening up. And his heart is becoming enlarged. And his, his tent stakes are being stretched out. And in that moment, something on him says, divine yes. But not just him. It is, it is absolutely contagious in the room. Everybody in the room is going, yes. Everybody in the room is going, yeah, come on. 
said, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, until they can't even say amen anymore. They're just falling over. They're just speaking in languages they didn't even know, didn't even learn. They're just falling out all over the place as the power of God has come down into the room. And so what I really love about this is the Jews, they're stupefied by this. They're puzzled and perplexed. And then Peter goes, well, since they're baptized in the Holy Ghost like us, anybody object if I dunk them in water? And on that day, they're baptized in that outward show of our siding with the Messiah. On this day, two praying men who were mortal enemies came together in the unification of the faith and something was established that literally turned the world upside down. These people had a real encounter. They got baptized and two men who were seeking God were given a divine appointment. And two men who should have never associated in the first place had just established a movement that would change the course of history. Y'all just looked too, too reserved when I said that. Two men who should not have been on the same page about any one subject came together and history was changed forevermore. History was changed forevermore. You and I can worship in an old car dealership and call it home and be excited about being a city set on a hill on two major highways because Cornelius wanted to know God and Peter came and didn't despise the moment and didn't reject the detestable thing and stood in front of them and shared the uh, the riches of the story of Christ Jesus and Suddenly, in a moment, hearts were opened. The power of God fell, and the church that we know called the time of the Gentiles emerges in that moment, knowing that in just a few days of history that the Jews will be scattered on the earth and will not be able to unify to continue to preach the message of Jesus Christ. So Peter is called out of his normal duties in his uh, in his his apostleship and Cornelius is called out of his normal duties and suddenly this man who once bowed to pagan gods is bowing to the one and only God and all of his household was saved and everyone they came in contact with was saved and it wasn't long before the move of the Gentile church was alive and you and I are living in the time of the Gentile we're living in those moments, the flash, fleeting moments of the time of the Gentile, and God's getting
getting ready to come back and visit the chosen people again. But in the meantime, you and I are making up the slack. You and I are making up the hedge for God. And we are the workers that are in the field right now. And our region is screaming for a revival. And the people of this region are wanting someone, a church to stand up and be different than anyone else and preach the truth no matter how much it hurts. There's so much here, I just got to move on. Two men dedicated to prayer. Two men who humbled themselves to God's will. One man laid aside his governmental position and privilege to bow his will to God's spiritual authority. And both men left that place with a lasting legacy. Saints, we stand in a place just as significant today as Peter and Cornelius. Our posture and obedience to God will make or break our legacy in God's call to our region. I've called for our 40 days of prayer and fasting to help us to position ourselves in the posture of humility and obedience to the will of God for our lives individually and corporately. Because like Peter and Cornelius, we play a vital role in God's desire for our region. We must carry out the message without prejudice and self-righteous judgment. For God chooses who he uses. We, like Peter, may be handling or handing the torch of Jesus Christ to God's next great assignment. I'm sure Peter wasn't quite ready to hand the torch just yet, but what he didn't know was that he was in the middle of a divine appointment. When he got there and realized this is a divine appointment, before he left, the torch had been handed to a generation who would reach further and farther and accomplish more than the Jew themselves could have accomplished. And I live in the excitement that my time is drawing to a close and Jesus is about to return to a people who've held him at arm's length who are about to embrace him and hold him and realize that they were his bride all along. And I can't wait to take my place at the marriage supper of the Lamb around the table and there, and there, know that I played my part in helping Jesus find his bride. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this message and for a patient people, Father, who are here beyond time. I ask, Lord, that we won't forget what's happened in this service today. And as we keep breaking in fellowship and breaking the bread of fellowship, Father, in the evenings for the next few days, God, I'm asking, Father, for such a divine reversal in how we do church. I'm asking for such a divine reversal, Father, in how we preach, how we teach, how we walk, how we carry ourselves. Father, we don't want to be a religious turnoff. We want to be an attractive magnet to the world.
And Father, I pray, God, that you would allow us to not become prejudiced about who God chooses to use, but that we will upgird and get underneath the arms of those who are in the battle at the moment. And I pray, Father, that as we carry out our mission right here in northwest Missouri, that our region, Father, will come alive and be powerful, that those unsuspecting souls who've yet to encounter us, when we start to preach the message, will find themselves saved and baptized and filled with God's presence because they encountered us. Give us that lineage like David and the lineage of Cornelius to carry out, Father, the legacy that you have given this church and the mandate that lies upon us to reach our world for Jesus. We give you honor and praise. If you're streaming today, You've never asked the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of your life. This is your opportunity right now. And you don't have to wait any longer. And I'm going to pray with you, but it doesn't depend upon my prayer. It depends upon your heart. And if you want God like never before, if you want to really know him, if like Cornelius you've heard about him but you really don't know him, but you want to, this is your moment. I'm going to ask the the congregants of my church to pray with me or to pray after me as I pray with you so that you're not praying alone. But understand this, if you pray this prayer, be sure to contact us and let us know that you prayed this prayer. Let us know that your life has been changed. Let us know that God has touched you. You can bow your head, but you don't have to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Here I am, and I want to know you. I know that in the natural, I'm a sinner. My life doesn't measure up. I don't look holy, but I want to be yours. So I'm asking you not only to forgive my sin, but to give me the power to walk away from my sin forevermore. Come into my heart, into the central part of who I am, and be my God. For the remainder of my life, I want to serve you. I want to know you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And my God, all the days of my life, I'm ready to serve you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you let somebody know. If you can't get a hold of us, you find a pastor. You let him know that you prayed that prayer. And find yourself a Bible-believing church. If you're close enough to be a part of Passion Church, come be a part of Passion Church at 1119 Bryan Road in Cameron, Missouri. We'll wrap our arms around you, bring you into the family, and help you to get started in your journey in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are, who are streaming today and are watching by television, God bless you and thank you for being a part of Passion Church Broadcast. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.